everyone, welcome back to Here in Apologetics. Super pumped to join us today to have Ben Watkins. We're talking about like atheism, theism, and the meaning of life. So, Ben, what's up, man? How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, how are you? I'm good. I'm excited for this conversation. I encourage you to get ready for like the 21 minute mark where I'm going to get all my secret friends and we're going to come in and bombard you. Um, so just nice. That. I so, love it. I'm ready. <laughs> I was, it'll be like Matrix or uh, Neo in the Matrix. You're just yeah. dodging bullets. Oh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember. It's been so long since I've seen that. <laughs> but yeah, I'm super pumped. So today, in case you don't know, we're just having like a chill conversation, just talking about like um, how you can view like the meaning of life and purpose of life from like theistic and atheistic worldviews. So before we get into that, Ben, do you want to talk a little bit about like who you are and what you do? Yeah. So my name's Ben Watkins, and I'm one of the hosts of Real Atheology, a philosophy of religion podcast, where we explore questions in the philosophy of religion from non-theist perspectives. And we try to engage with the most recent literature in the philosophy of religion to help give both atheists and theists tools that they might need while they explore some of the big questions in the philosophy of religion and in their own philosophical journey. Mm, yeah, super helpful. And looking at the meaning of life is definitely like one of those big philosophical questions. Um, so maybe just to start off, Ben, like, so like you're an atheist, obviously, like I'm a Christian, but like from an atheistic like view, Ben, like how do you see meaning purpose in like in life? Um, so there is no real straightforward answer to this question. So in tip in typical philosopher fashion, we kind of, you know, well, it might be this, but it depends. Mm-hmm. And so there's a history about this question. And so it's not entirely clear um, what that question is. And it's even harder to figure out how people have answered it historically. So if you were to read Aristotle in any way, you're not going to find Aristotle outright ask, well, what's the meaning of life? And him give an answer to that question. Um, But you might be able to relate the que- the answer an answer to the question of the meaning of life to something like his concept of eudaimonia or an overflowing happiness this sort of telos that all of humanity aims towards and so that might be one potential answer um, then you know that's very much keeping in with the, the the Greek conception of being of being you know being a subject in the world is kind of you know the meaning of life is what we can flourish into you know uh, mm-hmm. you know uh, a great tree um, is a great tree because it strives and, and it achieves what you know this great treeness and so we might be similar to this whereas in other um, epochs of time it's been a different conception uh, the Christian conception um, coming from the medievals, especially about the, you know, around the times of Aquinas. Um, it was, you know, this idea that God imposed meaning on the world. So it wasn't something that sprung forth from a natural telos, but was imposed um, by God. And then uh, along come the Enlightenment, figures like Kant um, and Hegel, who think that um, the meaning of life um is the freedom of reason. So this idea that the ability to ask ourselves, what ought I do, or to give reasons for why we have the convictions we do, or to live the lives we do, is a form of freedom. And that this form of freedom is um, what is the meaning of life. It's it's what we should be um, striving to attain and to overcome, you know, overcome our animal instincts and to become these more rational creatures. And, you know, uh, with 
Um, Nietzsche uh, uh, came this idea that if we've killed God, that there's this crisis of meaning, that things like technology and capitalism, um, efficiency and profit are just robbing our lives of meaning. And so that we have to have this um, great um, resurgence into art and to um, some people interpret uh, Nietzsche as saying uh, as to a will to power, but I don't, I don't think that's the right interpretation of Nietzsche. I think the right interpretation of Nietzsche is that we find meaning in art and beauty. Appreciate. Um, he has a very famous line that he who has a how a why to live can bear almost any how. And so what Nietzsche is saying is, is that if we can have something truly worth dying for, something beautiful and good and righteousness, righteous and noble, that having something to die for um, or to suffer for, because he just takes for granted that life is suffering, that that's what's going to give life meaning. And so I find all of these approaches just super interesting to, you know, what do we mean by the question, the meaning of life? What does it mean for a life to have meaning? What is the meaning of meaning? You know, that's a really meta question right there. Like, mm-hmm. how do we really grab at um, this question? And, and it seems like this question is also is very importantly related to ethics. So mm-hmm. it seems like the meaning of life has to do with a life that's worth living, a good life. Um, and so it's natural to ask normative questions from ethics, like, what ought I do? How ought I live? What sort of life is worth living? So I think the meaning of life has two really important aspects to it. The question of the meaning of life involves this normative question about what is of, what's, what, what's of value to our life. When we ask ourselves, what ought I do? This question is importantly related to the question of the meaning of life, but it's also distinct. There's something more to the meaning of life. There's something more than just that question of ethics. There's something existential about the question. What does it mean for me to live my life with the convictions that I do in a way that's worth living for me? Um, And so you can have this normative aspect of the question about what sort of things are of value. And then you can have this other existential piece of, well, what does it mean to be a being in the world? And if, if I have, if I accept that I have this existential need for meaning in the world, how much does the world present meaning to my, present meaning to me? If it doesn't present meaning to me at all, in some sense, um, the world is absurd will have this mm-hmm. intrinsic desire to find meaning in the world, but we just won't ever discover it. And we're just condemned to that loop. Um, this is Albert Camus' favorite uh, um, analogy with the myth of Sisyphus. Sisyphus being a Greek god that rolls a boulder up a hill. Um, but once he reaches the top, it falls back down. And so he sees that analogy from Greek mythology as being analogous to the situation we find ourselves in the world. Whereas other existentialists, uh, Camus probably wouldn't call himself an existentialist, but someone like Sartre, um, Sartre, however you pronounce it, um, it's French. I'm not very good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, he would say that um, existence precedes essence. So what we are precedes our existence. And so that if we are to become something, if there is going to be meaning in life, then we have to create it. It is through our choices and acts of will that we create meaning in the world. And so 
And then there's other um, interesting ways of approaching the question. There's Buddhist traditions um, and Taoist traditions that see our overcoming the ignorance of ourselves and um, detaching ourselves from karma is the greatest aim and something that we should, you know, we should overcome the illusions of the self to minimize our suffering so that we can help others um, attain the same states of nirvana. And so that, that that's a meaning of life. Um, uh, Christians see God's divine sovereignty um, of the world as imposing, or uh, I want to say enchanting the world with meaning, but I know that that might sound a little too mystical for some people. Mm-hmm. But what I'm trying to say is that it's it's God's sovereign plan. That it's you have your conviction is in something greater than yourself, and of something that has eternal cosmic significance in the greatest possible way. And so that in some sense, the meaning of life, everything, everything that has to do with the world has you in mind with it. And that's how God can impose um, meaning on the world by giving us a divine purpose that we can conform our lives to a divine purpose in the sense of a form of life. Um, Stoics um, have another interesting approach. I think to one that I um, certainly has helped me as uh, in thinking about it. It's the idea of that. The meaning of life is to become the best possible person we can be. And so that we have to try ourselves and that we just have to take suffering as a given in life and we have to overcome it. And in fact, we actually have to seek out obstacles in our lives. We have to actually put obstacles in our lives to practice how we respond to it. It's a habit that we have to develop over time in order. And so that's how we can become the best possible, you know, kind of there's the, the Greek, Greek way of thinking about being was kind of this flourishing, but the Roman way of thinking about being was, was slightly different. Um, it was not what you can spring for, but like what you can become, like you have all these really grand architectures that are rigid and have all of their pieces perfect. And, you know, some of the greatest architecture and sculpture came from that Roman period because of just the way they saw, you know, you wanted to become the best you could be. And I, I see that in this certainly come, come forth in, in, in the Stoics in particular, this idea, this logos way of thinking that there's this, this way that you can become mm-hmm. and that it's, it's very hard and requires striving practice and forming of habit to develop these virtues. Mm. Yeah, it's super helpful. So did I cut you off then? No, 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 go ahead. I was just going to, I was going to keep going. So <laughs> well, maybe we get to keep, um, progress a little bit here. Like obviously there's so many different views and you think about like, um, every person that's existed, everyone has maybe like a slightly different view of how like the meaning and purpose. So really there could be like billions and billions and trillions potentially of views on like the meaning and purpose of life. Um, but I'm curious, Ben, like I have you, Benjamin Blakespeed Watkins on the show today. Like, so from your perspective, Ben, like, how do you see the meaning and purpose in the world? Like, what do you think? Um, when looking at this question. Yeah. So what I have come to as far as, you know, Hey, what are, what are the things that matter? And so I think the things that matter are one, the normative feature of the question. Mm-hmm. And then the second part is what are the conditions for the second, the existential part? What do I need? What, what do I need to meet? What minimum criteria 
do I need in order to achieve the normative ideal? So, so I have to answer the question, what matters first? Mm -hmm. um, and then I can answer the question, how should I live in a way that matters, you know, in a way yeah. that matters? And so I think the things that matter are your um, love and work. And what do I mean by that? So I mean that you have to love not only who you're with and who you spend your time with, but also the places in which you're at. So the things that are within your um, control. So I can't control what time I'm at. I'm, I'm pretty locked in as far as time is concerned, but I'm not locked in where I am in the world. And so you want to love where you are and you want to love who you're with and you want to love what you're doing, which is why work, this is where work comes in. If you love what you're doing, time passes by in a very strange way. Have you ever been having a lot of fun with family and friends and all of a sudden just three or four hours have just gone by? Um, those types of moments, the, 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 the activities that you can participate in that fully engage you in a way that you have to exercise yourself as a being, as a human who has learned and developed skills of whether that be socializing with other people or a sport that you're all playing together or a video game that you all like to play with, whatever it is that makes us distinctly human involved in that activity with those that we love in the places that we want to be. And so I think it has some very, um, important implications, just reflecting on this, because it means that you can't buy, you can't borrow, and you can't manufacture the meaning of life. It's not something that can be imposed on us by an external force like a deity. It's only something that we can discover and embody it. And so it has to be part of our, and so this is I'll try not to get too deep into Hegel, but this is where Hegel has really illuminated a lot of my thought. Mm -hmm. um, just on these way, just these modes of, uh, and also the phenomenologists, uh, people like, unfortunately he's a Nazi, but Martin Heidegger, um, these modes of being in the world, these ways of seeing ourselves as a being in the world has certainly helped me appreciate these points. And then the second part, the existential part, what I think um, I've met with quite a bit of incredulity, the kind of idea that I've been developing over the past year or so, um, is this idea that being finite, that being immortal, is a necess necessary condition for living a meaningful life. Why do I say that? That sounds like, because it seems common to all religious traditions that um, an eternal life is better than a finite life, that an immortal life is better than a mortal life. And I actually think that that assumption is mistaken. I actually think that we can challenge that assumption and say that no, in order for our lives to have meaning and in order for my life to live my life and to care about it, to be animated in the projects that I do and the people that I love, my life has to be finite. Uh, my life has to be something I can risk, that something is at stake and that my projects could fail and that it's worth doing just in itself. And so this is where a lot of my atheist peers will, will cringe, where faith comes in, a kind of mortal faith in this idea that, look, I'm going to have the commitments that I do and engage in the projects I do and love the people I do, knowing that I have to risk them, that I could lose them, that I could fail, that they could 
that everything could fall apart. And so that it's this kind of mortal faith, this moving towards our death and accepting that we are um, dependent on everyone around us, but also living our life in relation to our death. If you take that death off the table and you instead put an eternal life there, then I don't, then I think life becomes meaningless because there's nothing to animate. You could postpone all of your projects indefinitely. You could just, you wouldn't be motivated to act in any way. In fact, the distinction between a sooner than or later than some moment in time just loses, uh, that distinction just collapses when we think about ourselves um, as eternal beings. And so I think that's that could be a very profound conclusion. Um, these thoughts have definitely been uh, boosted in recent months by I've read I read uh, it's this life by Martin Hagland. Um, and he has this theme in his book about how it is our finitude. It's, it's the mortality of life that actually is what gives it meaning. And that mm -hmm. if you were to take that out of the picture, meaning would just evaporate, which um, I certainly surprised me when I first started to think about this idea, this conclusion that I had come to, because I had always kind of taken it for granted that, you know, like, look, if theism were true, um, God would be the greatest possible good for us. An eternal relationship with an infinite being that we could grow ever deeper within infinitely seems like it would be the greatest possible thing for like what could possibly be better but that's that normative feature of the meaning of life question it might, might that might be true that that would be the greatest thing of value for it but then the existential portion of that question comes in could we live like that could we live in eternity and be motivated to do anything to take on any sort of projects or have any sort of convictions, or even to be agents at all. And surprising to, to my surprise, I, I found that the answer to that was was, was no. That it, it that it requires our finitude, the acceptance of us ourselves as mortal beings, that cause us to have, care about anything, to be concerned about anything. I'm not going to act unless I'm concerned for something, and I can't be concerned for something unless I admit that it's finite or that it could fail that it's contingency and, and, and temporal, temporalness and fallibility is what concerns me and motivates me to live. And living, taking that leap of faith to live that way with that knowledge um, is what gives my life meaning. Because uh, I see our shared reality as something fragile and an end in itself to use the, the jargon from, from, this is what I get from Kant and Hegel, to see not because this meaning is imposed on us because of a divine command that we're just obeying or because we're promised a reward instead of a punishment, but just mm. because they're ends in themselves. Mm. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so there's a lot of things here, Ben, and I appreciate you kind yeah. of spelling everything out. Um, one thing I really agreed with that I wrote down um, is this idea of like this idea of love. Um, so like, I think like, you know, like atheist, theist, whatever, like we can agree that like love is super important, um, in our relationships with like, maybe like our family or our spouses, or even just like the people you meet on the street. Um, like this is just something like, I feel like I run into too often is where people run into the people on the street and we're just jerks to each other. Um, 
there's really something powerful about when we can like go against that kind of like maybe like innate attitude and go like towards love. Um, so that's something I think I just totally agree with you on is that we can like have this love. One thing I wonder about um, this idea of like the infinite and the finite. So what am I kind of like, I don't know if I call it an objection, but one of my worries is it, maybe it comes down to the criteria. Like for me, I think about this idea of like, um, like what is meaning and purpose? And as a Christian, like I see it as like coming to come become more like Christ. Um, we become more like morally perfect, um, coming to know things and things like this. So in that sense, I don't really know if I would really agree with like the idea that like a finite life would be better because I'd say, well, you would only have a finite amount of time to like even become like something like a better person, a more like Christ, um, becoming closer towards this idea if we think of if we think of God as like moral perfection. Um, sometimes I wonder like, or as I was thinking, I'm like. Well, it seems like to me, like having that infinite life, that chance to like get that character and to maybe actually like live it out, like morally perfect. Maybe that's the greatest good. Um, I mean, maybe we're just missing out on that, the idea of like living in a morally perfect sense, um, like Christ did, at least for me. And obviously I'm putting in a lot of Christian theology, but I'm just trying to like explain how I see things at least. Yeah, and so it's great. So I think um, there's a lot of things that we can um, glean from the Christian tradition here, especially its emphasis on love. Um, and seeing that love is this great good that's that's very important to our lives and gives our lives meaning. It's a way in which the world presents itself to us in a way that has meaning, in a way that matters, in a way that um, we're concerned about. Um, and so to transition to infinity and, and the finite, um, the idea there is also that the things that we love are at stake, that... Mm -hmm. Um, they aren't eternal, that they're fragile and not necessary. Um, because if we say, you know, well, our, the, the greatest good can be to become like Christ. That's an activity that we can, you know, com, um, live our lives in, a commitment that we can take on ourselves and give to ourselves. But it's also an activity that we can just prolong for an infinite amount of time if we're immortal. We can, it's, it's hard to say, like, can you be concerned about becoming Christ-like or not? Well, no, because I can just always do it an infinite amount of time later. And if mm -hmm. I do do it, even if I do achieve it, even if I do achieve this Christ-like state, well, then I just have an eternity in a Christ-like Christ state. You know, what? Presumably, there's an infinite number of things we can do after that. Mm -hmm. Um but then again, that raises some very interesting questions about, um, you know, the nature of what it means to be an agent. You know, will you get bored in heaven is mm -hmm. kind of sounds like a tongue in cheek um, no, it's question. A very real question. But I think, yeah, I think it's a very real question. Um, that's and I uh, you can there there's arguments on both sides side mm -hmm. of this question that are super interesting. But what would it even be to be an agent um, that is bored? In eternity, how would you um, is is bored? You know, so, something that because we we get bored and we we know we shouldn't get bored um, because it's our time. It's the only time that we have. Um, I, I it's it's an interesting question. And I, I'm going to be honest with you. I still haven't worked all of the um, pieces mm -hmm. out. I'm still you know some night some days I'll you know I'll, I'll get a really just what I think is an awesome thought about, you know, relating to this and then I'll write it down and get through it and go, ah, oh, no, I don't, I don't think that, no, I don't think, I don't think I was quite right about that. And so I'm still trying to piece it all together. But what I am confident about is 
um, that I'm an atheist. No, um, <laughs> what I, is that it has to be lived. That the meaning of life is a question that we all ask ourselves autonomously. It's self-governed. It's not a question that someone imposes, something external to us imposes, but it's something that it, it doesn't even have to be theoretical. Um, I don't have to be consciously thinking about what is the meaning of life. I have to have this theory of the meaning of life. We, we, we live it. We live it in our daily lives by the, the, the values we hold and by the commitments we take on and by the activities we, we take part in. Um, these are, I think that quite that part of it is it's, it's, it's very deeply has to do with the phenomenology of how the world presents itself to us. And so this is, I consider myself within the analytic tradition of philosophy. That's where I'd spend all my time reading, I feel like, um, mm -hmm. and certainly my writing style, but this is where I think the continentals are closer to the truth than the analytics. If you look in the analytic literature, meaning of life questions are really hard to find something to read on. It's, it's just not a question that research programs are devoted to answering. But if you look, if you turn to the continental tradition, um, there's, there's a lot there. In fact, it's super, super important. Mm. Yeah. I, I'm totally tracking with you, Ben. Um, maybe at this point it might be helpful to think about like, one of the things I like to think about when looking at not just like questions like the meaning of life, but just like any philosophical question is the idea of like this average person on the street. Um, like a lot of people I interact with on a daily basis, like they're not really diving the depths of analytic philosophy or metaphysics or reading like Hegel or Nietzsche or Craig or any of these people to like find like the meaning of life. A lot of people are just living their lives. Um, they're not really thinking a lot. I'm not saying this in like a derogatory way at all, not in the slightest. Um, but we don't, well, you live our lives and like, for me for a long time this is how i live my life and you don't you just don't think about this you just keep living um but like we as, as you were hitting at ben like we still have that purpose like even if you're not consciously like thinking about like every day like what is my meaning or what is my purpose you're still living in some sense you're striving towards something um unless maybe you sit in bed your entire life 24 hours a day like you're striving towards something so there's some purpose i think that each person would have even if we may not be able to like explicitly like spell it out and so that kind of also helps us make sense of um, Nietzsche's worry that God is dead. Because mm -hmm. um, if we're all striving for this meaning in our life and you remove that theological piece from the equation, well, what is everyone striving for as their meaning? Is it just a bunch mm -hmm. of competing wills to power? And mm -hmm. that this, you know, um, we're just do, you know, um, we're doomed to this sort of nihilism. Most people think that Nietzsche was a nihilist. He wasn't a nihilist. He he was he pointed he pointed that this is a problem of nihilism. That if you're going <laughs> that's one to of my sorry to interrupt, but like literally, I was talking with one of my friends playing tennis on Saturday. We were talking about Nietzsche, and he's like, I was like, Nietzsche, so Nietzsche was a nihilist, right? I've been like, I was listening to Beyond and Evil. He sounds like kind of nihilistic, and my friend was like, No, dude, you're wrong. Like Nietzsche yeah. is not a nihilist. It's just it's kind of portrayed that way. So. Yeah, it's when it's very easy. It's very easy to get that impression. Like when you read Nietzsche, Nietzsche has some very brutal claims, mm -hmm. um, and it's not surprising to my mind that people would walk away from Nietzsche thinking that he himself is a nihilist. But in a way, he's kind of this quasi-virtue ethicist, in that you know the Ubermunch, this you know what this overman, this um, thing that humanity can strive to be and become is you know virtuous and that's that's the sort of thing we should try to be uber munches ourselves we should mm -hmm. but and it's very easy to try you know, oh well we should just all will to power and um 
you know, only act self-interestly. And so these misinterpretations, but I'm getting too deep into Nietzsche. Um, mm. the, the point that Nietzsche is trying to make is that, you know, look, if you're going to just remove forms of life that have given humanity meaning through epochs of time that we all depend on, that we cannot, we, we cannot escape our evolutionary or societal histories. We just can't. If we're going to remove those pieces out, what is left? And will it give any meaning? Like, is, will there be a why worth suffering for such that we can bear any how? Um, is what Nietzsche would, would ask himself. He, you know, is there, so, you know, can we get meaning from technology? Can we get meaning from being more efficient? Can we get meaning from selling our labor? Can we get, you know, just these different ways of, you know, if, if God's not there, what is the thing? Um, and so my answer to that question is work and love the, 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 the family that we're with and art can be one of them. Um, if you love art, you know, if you're really passionate about music, then music can be your um, meaning of life. Camus puts this rather crudely. Um, you know, would I, would I rather kill myself or have a cup of coffee? And so what he's saying is, it's like, look, whatever makes you reach for that cup of coffee is your meaning of life. It's what, it's what you, you know, whatever, whatever makes you get up through the day and keep going and living the life that you do, that's your meaning of life. Mm -hmm. Um and yeah. su super interesting question. Di many, many different ways of uh, approaching it. I could, I guess, I could just go on all night because I haven't even talked about like Viktor Frankl or <laughs> um, Alan Watts. They yeah. all have just super, super interesting insights. I think into you know, like like you said, just one of the biggest philosophical questions we can ask. Yeah, there's definitely so much here. Um, but maybe at this point, Ben, it might be helpful to like get the idea of. Um, I think this happened when I was listening to something by like maybe Jordan Peterson. And I don't agree with him on a lot. I mean, I agree with him on some, but not a lot. But one of the things that really struck me um, is he talked about this question on some podcast and he asked, he asked it or someone asked him or this is all I remember, but they asked like the question of like, why on earth do we even get out of bed in the morning? Um, so you talked about your two ideas of like work and love. Like when you think about it, like for me, like when I think about it and I'm going to smuggle in a lot of things here and as a theist, all these presuppositions, so just be ready. Like when I think about it, like from an atheistic worldview as a Christian, I just like, sometimes I'm like, Okay, let's just like, even if you say like maybe like moral realism is true, like you have this idea of like, give it another like couple thousand years, couple million years, we're just headed to stardust, you know, like maybe for us that like work and love and might be significant, but like we're going towards nothing and all that, all those memories, um, all these things are going towards like literally nothing, they're going to be destroyed. Um, so for me, it's like hard for me to not be like super nihilistic. Um, and probably maybe that's part of it's just cause, like, I'm a Christian. So I think about things in a different way than you do, Ben. Um, but, like, how do you like avoid that, like total nihilism where you just find like no meaning and no purpose. Um, when you think about the idea that like, we're going towards some sort of end, if atheistic, if an atheistic view is true, where really there's probably not going to be anything significant happening a few million years from now, especially at least in terms of like, um, like moral agents or things like this, as far as we know, unless like Elon Musk, like helps us like colonize planets and all that stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I'll, I got a, something of a confession of my own in that I just, I, I've never found the worry um, mm -hmm. in that, in the plausibility that because unless our actions have this cosmic um, significance, um, then they just don't have any significance at all or that they have to have a significance that's just greater than ourselves in order to, 
have any significance at all. Um, and so I, one of the things I said that I was sure about in this question, like, you know, and so in ethics, my, my starting point is pain is bad. That's just mm -hmm. my starting point. Like if you were to ask me like, what are the, what are, you know, some of the things that you're sure about, you know, a substantive ethical claim that you're sure about that can be controversial, I would say pain is bad. And so the other one that I would say that, that in the meaning of life, the existential is we care about things and that matters. That's mm -hmm. kind of just a starting point. Um, and so it can be true that the universe will eventually die in a heat thermodynamic heat death. That could be true. It could be true that, um, you know, God loves us and wants a relationship with us and um, we have an after an eternal after afterlife. Okay. Like it doesn't matter which of these conclusions, I'm still going to say that I care about things and things matter. Does that make sense? Like that, that's, that's just a given across, across all of the ways in which I think the world can be. Mm -hmm. I think that it's just a given that we have to live our, like we have the lives that we're going to live and it's how we live those lives um, the commitments that we make and the values that we have and the people that we're with, those are the things that make life meaningful. And that's just true whether God exists or whether God doesn't exist. Yeah. I think so, from like a biological perspective, like you think about like dogs or cats, or like any animal, like they're not like thinking about like the meaning of life um, or things like this, but they have that sort of like, um, like aim or telos or something like that to survive um, to them. Like you want to survive. You don't want to die. Um, so I do think there is that maybe that, that innate sense of like life is, they wouldn't say life is good, but like we should survive. We should be alive. Um, so yeah. well, it's more than just instinct for us. So what, what, so this is one of the things that someone like Heidegger is going to say, like, look, this is what, you know, there's a question, like what makes us different from other animals? And so Plato very famously and very in influentially, it's our rationality. It's our ability to compute and solve, you know, answer, you know, and, Heidegger's no, 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 that's 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 all wrong. Um, what makes us uniquely human is the fact that we can ask ourselves questions, and that we can then go be that in the world. We can go realize that in the world. So, to give an example, he gives famous example of a of a hammer, and he's like the analytic philosopher, kid, or the Platonic way of thinking about um, a hammer is, you know, describe all of its properties and characteristics. Whereas um, the phenomenological understanding of a hammer is you're gonna have to pick up the hammer and you're gonna have to go drive nails and you're gonna have to hit your thumb. You're gonna have to make mistakes and you have to build great things. It, only then will the hammer really present itself to you. Only then will you really understand what it means to be a hammer. There will be you. We have the ability to go and create very many worlds like this. So we can create a world of music. We can create a world of art. We can create a world of fashion. We can create a world of automobiles. We can create a world with our families. We can create these worlds by asking questions and trying to answer them and going out in the world and realizing them. That's what separates us from other animals. We we can learn skills. Um, that we ourselves have, get, you know, I'm going to learn this skill. I play Magic the Gathering. It's, it's as nerdy as that may sound, but like that's a skill. That, like I've gone out and I've, I could explain to you all of the rules of Magic the Gathering and all of the cards that I have, but you wouldn't understand what it's like 
to play magic and to be deep in, in the, the strategy of the game and to be hanging out with your friends and to be making trades with certain cards and to be collecting certain cards and winning certain um, events and all the stories that go along with that. There's, there's just so much more to Magic the Gathering than you can capture by just rationally thinking about the game theory behind the game and the physical properties of all the cards and the locations in which they're played. You actually have to think about being in the world. Isness. Yeah, no, I think you're, I'm tracking with you, Ben, in the sense that like there is beauty in this journey. Um, thinking like, like there's something beautiful. Like I think about like some of my, like my favorite memories, like whether it was like playing sports in high school or like things like this or like where I'm at now, like there's so many like moments that I, that I think about and I reflected on like, there's just something that gives me joy, like reflecting on these moments, something beautiful about them. Um, and there's the question of like, well, you can still find those joys. Like you don't have to be like a, a Christian or a theist to like find those joys. Um, but then I wonder like, what's the point of like, for me, like this is just, and it's going to get back to kind of what we got to in the beginning, but like for the atheist, like what's the point in finding those joys in the first place? Um, like, is it just like taking like appreciation of like what you've um, been given in the sense of like having this chance at life um, through ever, like whatever process kind of led to the, to this? Well, yeah. And so like, that's what I was uh, hinting at with, in order to say that our lives are meaningful, they, they need to be finite. They need mm -hmm. to be mortal. This idea that, you know, look, they can be lost in order for us to be concerned or care about something, which, which is presupposed by our search for meaning is that we care about certain things mm -hmm. is because we recognize them as shared with others and fragile and worth preserving for their own sakes as ends in themselves. Mm -hmm. And so that this, the, the very idea of there being things that we care about and being motivated in our concerns and have passion for driving, you know, they, these things might not last beyond our lifetime. Um, they mm. might fail. These are the, these are the things that are that are necessary conditions um, for them to be meaningful. Because if they weren't, if they just if they were not if they were not mortal, and if they were infinite, we just wouldn't have these sorts of concerns about them. They just w they just couldn't motivate us. Yeah, maybe one thing I can bring up, Ben, and then we can kind of start to lead towards. There's a little bit of Q&A. I saw one super chat um, is for me, like I think about like, so for example, like a couple, it was about like three or four years ago or more than that. Now um, I had a friend who passed away in a car crash. Uh, he just graduated high school. And for me, like he was a Christian, I'm a Christian. So like, I believe that like um, he's going to be like in heaven and the eschaton and like all these things. But, and like, we have this idea of like, well, he's going to have this infinite life still. But to me, like that still doesn't like negate like the tragedy of like the losing like his life in this world. Um, so for me, like when I think about this idea, like I still think like, at least for me personally, and obviously like we all see the world differently. So I'm not like, oh, Ben Watkins is so irrational. Believe me. Um, <laughs> but like for me, like I think like at least for me, I think I can preserve like this beauty of the finite. Um, an idea of like this life is still finite while also believing in like some sort of infinite and Maybe that's just how I see the world. Um, but for me, that's kind of like how I view things. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, great stuff, Ben. Is there anything else you want to say with regards to like life and meaning and all this stuff before we move to a little bit of q and I feel like we've kind of like added a Yeah, I think I've, I've covered a ton of ground and I could ton mm -hmm. of cover a ton more ground too. Um, but yeah, I would just leave most people um, in thinking about the question of the meaning in life. Really, um, you know, ask yourself – um, some very simple questions, you know, um, 
is, you know, is there any other place that I'd rather be? Um, is there anyone else I'd rather be with? Um, or is there nothing else I'd rather be doing? And that these questions that just asking yourself these questions and sitting back and reflecting on them can really have a huge impact um, on your life. You know, in a, it's people ask, you know, well, what are you going to use philosophy for? Mm-hmm. To, live a, to live a good life. This is how you can use philosophy to help um, find meaning in our lives and that's, and help others find meaning in their lives too. I think there's something really beautiful in what you said, Ben, um, where we can look and find meaning and like thinking, like, as we think about this conversation, like I can look to my left now there's a window and I can see a lot of like my town from this window and I can see like beauty, like there's beauty there. Um, and I can get to this from this idea of like philosophy, um, where this idea, like there's some sort of like beauty about life and we can wonder and be amazed by this. So it's hard to be an anti-realist about aesthetics oh after gosh. you start thinking about <laughs> beauty in these ways. I'm, I'm being dead serious. Like mm-hmm. if you, if you are really immersed in music or, you know, really appreciate it, learn to appreciate a great work of art. Um, really hard to be an anti-realist about yeah, aesthetics. It seems super hard. Like anytime you like look at like a sunset or a painting or listen to music, like you have to go against like all your ant- intuitions almost, I feel like, to like be an anti-realist about these things. So yeah. yeah. I always like to quip that like, no, the Mona Lisa just really is a better work of art than whatever's on your refrigerator that's been drawn, you know, by whatever kid. Like there actually is like a genius to the way in which art can be used in the mediums we find it. And there's something called music theory, you know, like mm-hmm. it's not like these things are just random and aren't really in the world. Um, you can really play a bad note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, so we'll get a little bit of Q and a for about 10 minutes. Um, we had a hard question from the Canadian Catholic who said, how tall are you Ben? Um, so I guess, thank you so much for the super chat. Really appreciate it. Uh, I am six one, but I am six foot because I slouch. So you're so much taller than me. I'm only like five ten. So that's sad. Um, My wife is six foot, but she likes to tell people she's five twelve. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Okay. Um, we have a question, I guess, for me from Jonah, which says, um, when you see on the atheist worldview, is there something about God that helps explain facts about morality, specifically what is God doing? So I don't really know exactly like my views on like, so I don't, I'm not the biggest fan of like Craig's moral argument. I know you love that argument, Ben, and you think it's like the best argument. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, But like, so I'm not, I'm not really sure how I feel personally about like the moral argument, like saying that like on atheism, there's no moral facts. Um, And part of it's just like ignorance. Like I haven't like really combed the de- depths of the literature trying to understand this. Um, but at least for me, like when I think about like the theistic versus the atheistic worldview on meaning, the big thing for me is like, from a theistic perspective, we have this chance to like come to know, like become like perfect in a sense, like God. Um, and it's like sanctification and these things. And on the atheist worldview, I don't know if we're going to have, like we have that finite chance to be morally perfect. If you're a moral realist, if you're an atheist, um, but I don't think, I don't think that's going to be very practical. Um, so that's my shorthanded thoughts. I'd have to think about that question more though. So I don't know if there's anything you want to add, Ben. Uh, no, just, I, I'm, People are probably familiar with my views, but uh, it's very similar to questions of meaning of life in the sense that I don't think the answer to these questions, change. the right answers to these questions changes whether we suppose God exists or God doesn't exist. I don't, I think that these questions are just separate questions um, in um, ethics and in the philosophy of religion. That's not to say they aren't importantly related. Um, I just don't think that anything in ethics or questions of meaning of life turn on the existence of God. I think 
my answers to them are going to be the same, regardless of if I'm a theist or an atheist. So I'm just wondering, Vince, if you were a Christian, like if somehow like you became like super convinced that like Christianity is true or is like, or, or any religion where there's some sort of like eternal eschaton, your views on like the meaning and purpose of life wouldn't change. Is that right? Um, so they would, and they would obviously in certain substantive ways in the sense that I would think that there was, you know, a benefactor, a greatest possible benefactor that, you know, I had an obligation to have a relationship with. So obviously the substance of some of my moral claims, but I took it to be like the, the, the question was about the meta ethics mm -hmm. okay. of the question. Um, and so I would say that, you know, uh, I do like the question first off, because um, first off, if I were to become a Christian, I would probably be a heretic still um, because I would have, views that are very unorthodox. Um, for example, I would be an open theist and I would be a universalist um, about the afterlife. And I probably at this point wouldn't be uh, the afterlife being eternal. I would think that if there's a universalist um, afterlife that is itself finite and that they're just continuations of our finite life. And you're not going to find any biblical support for this view. Um, I'll go ahead right out of the bat and just say like, you know, but mm -hmm. when I think about theism as in perfect being theist theism if i were to be a theist of that sort those are the kinds of views that i would most sympathize with thanks for that ben um we have a question for you from converse contender which said um last time we spoke we talked last time we spoke we talked about how some popular atheists are really hurting the atheist position have you gotten an opportunity to hurt, talk to any of those people on that <laughs> um i've tried um, I've not made any progress or any breakthroughs. Um, unfortunately, we, my camp still seems to get hung up on the definition of atheism. Mm -hmm. Not really sure what that's all about. Um, other than just trying to avoid, avoid a burden of justification. That's the best. That's, that's what I can gather from the whole disagreement. Um, people in my camp still, you know, walk out tropes like I, you know, everyone's an atheist. I just go one God further than you or, you know, who created God, which I, I just recently made a tweet about how like, you know, my camp gets on, you know, the theist camp for asking questions like, well, why are there still monkeys? You know, if evolution is true, as if, as if that's some sort of un insurmountable problem. Well, the same is true of, you know, well, who created God? Like as mm -hmm. if that's some insurmountable problem that people who defend cosmological arguments just haven't thought of. Um, I, I don't know what the answer is. I, I want people to take the philosophy of religion more seriously. Um, I don't know how to get, people in my camp to do that. Um, mm -hmm. And in my more pessimistic moods, I don't think I can do anything yeah. other than setting an example. And I'll still, again, take, take as a leap of faith, this idea that, you know, arguments um, can win out. I can lead by example and we can somehow raise the level of discourse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think if we try to change the whole world, we're going to have a hard time doing it. Um, but it's really about like having those like one-on-one -on -one conversations and just doing what you can. Obviously we each have limited resources, but when we do our best to love and um, show virtue and have these conversations, I think we can go a long way. So thank you so much, Ben, for coming on today. Really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you everyone for tuning in today. Hope you enjoyed this, found this beneficial. Um, as always, you can check out Ben at Real Atheology. should be linked down below. And if you're new here, I always encourage you to subscribe and leave a like and all that fun stuff. 
Really appreciate everyone who tuned in today. Hope you have a good rest of your evening. And yeah, thank you everyone for tuning in. Have a good one. Bye.